0: Chapter Six, Book One of Rookwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Paul Curran. Rookwood by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book One, Chapter Six, Sir Piers Rookwood. My old master kept a good house, and twenty or thirty tall sword and buckler men about him, and in faith his son differs not much. He will have metal, too. Though he has no store of cutler's blades, he will have plenty of vidner's pots. His father kept a good house for honest men, his tenants that brought him in part, and his son keeps a bad house with knaves that help to consume all. Tis but the change of time. Why should any man repine at it? Crickets, good, loving, and lucky worms were wont to feed, sing, and rejoice in the father's chimney, and now carrion crows build in the son's kitchen. Wilkins, Miseries of Enforced Marriage Sir Reginald died, leaving issue three children. A daughter, the before-mentioned Eleanor, who entirely discountenanced by the family, had been seemingly forgotten by all but her father, and two sons by his third wife. Reginald, the eldest, whose military taste had early procured him the command of a company of horse, and whose politics did not coalesce with those of his sire, fell, during his father's lifetime, at Killiecrankie, under the banners of William. Piers, therefore, the second son, succeeded to the title. A very different character in many respects from his father and brother, holding in supreme dislike courts and courtiers, party warfare, political intrigue, and all the subtleties of Jesuitical diplomacy, neither having any inordinate relish for camps or campaigns, Sir Piers Rookwood yet displayed in early life one family propensity, viz. unremitting devotion to the sex. Among his other mistresses was the unfortunate Susan Bradley, in whom, by some, he was supposed to have been clandestinely united. In early youth, as has been stated, Sir Piers professed the faith of Rome. But shortly after the death of his beautiful mistress, or wife, as it might be, having quarrelled with his father's confessor, Checkley, he publicly abjured his heresies. Sir Piers subsequently allied himself to Maud, only daughter of Sir Thomas Daubeny, the last of a line as proud and intolerant as his own. The tables were then turned. Lady Rookwood usurped sovereign sway over her lord and Sir Piers. A cipher in his own house, scarce master of himself, much less of his dame, endured an existence so miserable that he was often heard to regret in his cups that he had not inherited with the estate of his forefathers the family secret of shaking off the matrimonial yoke when found to press too hardly. At the onset, Sir Piers struggled hard to burst his bondage, but in vain. He was fast fettered, and only bruised himself like the caged lark against the bars of his prison-house. Abandoning all further effort at emancipation, he gave himself up to the usual resource of a weak mind, debauchery and drank so deeply to drown his cares that, in the end, his hale constitution yielded to his excesses. It was even said that remorse at his abandonment of the faith of his fathers had some share in his misery, and that his old spiritual, and if report spoke truly, sinful adviser, Father Checkley, had visited him secretly at the hall. Sir Piers was observed to shudder whenever the priest's name was mentioned." Sir Piers Rookwood was a good-humoured man in the main, had little of the old family leaven about him, and was esteemed by his associates. Of late, however, his temper became soured, and his friends deserted him, for, between his domestic annoyances, remorseful feelings, and the inroads already made upon his constitution by constant inebriety, he grew so desperate and insane in his revels, and committed such fearful extravagances, that even his boon companions shrank from his orgies. Fearful were the scenes between him and Lady Rookwood upon these occasions, appalling to the witnesses, dreadful to themselves, and it was, perhaps, their frequent recurrence that, more than anything else, banished all decent society from the hall. At the time of Sir Piers's decease, which brings us down to the date of our story, his son and successor, Ranulph, was absent on his travels. Shortly after the completion of his academical education, he had departed to make the tour of the continent, and had been absent rather better than a year. He had quitted his father in displeasure, and was destined never again to see his face while living. The last intelligence received of young Rookwood was from Bordeaux, whence it was thought he had departed for the Pyrenees. A special messenger had been dispatched in search of him, with tidings of the melancholy event, but, as it was deemed improbable by Lady Rookwood that her son could return within any reasonable space, she gave directions for the accomplishment of the funeral rites of her husband on the sixth night after his decease, it being the custom of the Rookwoods ever to inter their dead at midnight. Entrusting their solemnization entirely to the care of one of peers hangers-on, "'Dr. Titus Tyrconnell, "'for which she was greatly scandalised in the neighbourhood. Ranulph Rookwood was a youth of goodly promise. "'The stock from which he sprang "'would on neither side warrant such conclusion. "'But it sometimes happens that, "'from the darkest elements are compounded "'the brightest and subtlest substances, "'and so it occurred in this instance, "'fair, frank and free, generous, open, insuspicious, he seemed the very opposite of all his race, their antagonizing principle. Capriciously indulgent, his father had allowed him ample means neither curbing nor restraining his expenditure, acceding at one moment to every inclination and the next irresolutely opposing it. It was impossible, therefore, for him, in such a state of things, to act decidedly without incurring his father's displeasure, and the only measure he resolved upon, which was to absent himself for a time, was conjectured to have brought about the result he had endeavoured to avoid. Other reasons, however, there were, which secretly influenced him, which it will be our business in due time to detail. End of chapter 6, book 1